Hey, welcome to Hear God's Word. This is Michael. In this podcast, we study and dissect the Bible to better understand what it means and is trying to say. Whether we cover intense word studies or simple stories, there's so many layers and it's all important. So, if you want to hear what God has to say, then let's dive in. Hey everyone, so today we're going to be talking about the famous land of Eden, which was Garden, and we began talking about it last time. But in order for there to be a garden, there has to be some pretty good sources of water, and that's what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking about the actual garden land of Eden. How big was it? I'll answer that to begin with. I don't know. Um, There's quite a bit of information it gives, but it's still very ancient and general. And some of the information we're going to talk about, the places and the rivers don't even exist anymore. So we're going to go over those details. Let's start with reading the passage, which is Genesis 2, 10 through 14. So the passage says, A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there, it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is the Pishon. It winds through the entire land of Havala, where there is gold. The gold of that land is good, aromatic resin, and anks are also there. The name of the second is the Gihon. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris. It runs along the east side of Ashur. And the fourth is the Euphrates. So, here we have the four rivers that are mentioned. And so let's talk about each one of those. So basically three of the four verses are talking about the specific details of the rivers and the land that we'll be talking about. And then even the very first verse in verse 10, it's even talking about the fact that basically there's a river that was running through Eden. And so was it flowing north and south, east and west? Was it winding all around the garden? However, there is some detail here that says that it broke off into four heads, which we obviously also refer to heads of water even these days when a river or a lake comes to a head and it branches off. So essentially we have four rivers or branches or bodies of water that branch off from the river that is in Eden. And just like I mentioned, this river and the rivers that are branching off They obviously feed into the lush vegetation that's in the garden because everyone knows that 
gardens usually are very well watered and the plants are beautiful and green and blooming and if it's an orchard like we talked about in the net bible where there's fruit trees you know there's going to be some really great fruit there you go to any sort of farm where they're producing a certain sort of crop and fruit and it's just usually a really beautiful and lush area where there's a lot of really great plants growing and so if we take care of pretty good vineyards and sort of orchards and farms how much more god when he put people originally in paradise and a place called pleasure and set up a river network that fed or basically gave drink like it talks about when it says it watered the area so we have the very first river which is the pishon or the pishon and this is the hebrew name for the river obviously and so we're going to be referencing a lot of commentaries today because i am not a very good geologist and archaeologist and scientist when it comes to these specific matters of what were the historical lands and outlines of the territories and the way that the river runs through the areas and even modern day archaeologists and scientists and geologists even all of them even christian ones have a difficult time and have different speculations for where the land of eden was and i'll just throw out some speculations so some people say that it is buried under the sea in the arabian sea because the tigris and the euphrates that we talked about they come to a head right around that area right before the gulf and then we also have other speculations like it being farther up towards the essentially assyria sort of area which we can talk more about these things in a little bit but uh, another speculation which uh, you can take or leave. I, I know that there's definitely people out there who I've heard say that the Garden of Eden was essentially the old tale of Atlantis, and that also gives some credence to maybe if it is buried under the ocean, you know, because the waters that it says were in that area at the time are not really easily discoverable anymore so now we can bring up some other questions and there's also a lot of other 
places that people have tried to pinpoint the Garden of Eden, but essentially it's in that Eastern Asian Mesopotamian area. And essentially anywhere from the southern border of Arabia and Africa all the way up to some of the further edges closer to India and Russia and all of that. So like where exactly was the garden and how big was it? I don't think we're probably going to discover that either for a long time or possibly ever because a lot of the evidence is that we would be able to use and the history of more details that could help us and the people who did know are long gone. And so it's possible one day that we'll figure more out when it comes to this. However, the more important thing is it's just trying to, if we look at the big picture again, these facts and it talking about the Garden of Eden, it's not trying to give you a total geological history and be like, hey, focus on these details. Like, you know, these rivers are so important. Like, it, it's talking about it so that the people back then and even into the future could locate it. And I believe that could even fully discover the location of where Eden was. But it's very clear that it's making the point that this place did exist, that the people lived in at the very beginning. And so that's the main point of what it's trying to get at. And by giving these details, like it really did matter. And if you look at history, basically even the most crazy and the most powerful empires of the world have went searching for the Garden of Eden. Like almost every civilization has gone trying to find this lost paradise place where there were lush gardens and rivers. And so you can even look at recent history and even conquests such as even if you look at some of the literature stuff that Hitler was trying to accomplish, even he was trying to, in some sort of way, search for this lost paradise. And that gets into a whole bunch of interesting and off-topic stuff, so we won't go into that, but more so to the point that every generation and civilization is looking for this really beautiful and special place. And even up to very recent history, people knew this place was real. So it's less about people asking, oh, was it real? It was more so, where was this real place? And so. We'll get more details about maybe why we can't find it anymore when we get 
into the later part of chapter 3 because there's honestly a pretty good answer in the Bible itself. So let's continue taking a look at what it has to say and let's see if we can maybe pin some of the details and discover at least a little more, or at least get familiar or at least picture the general area of where the garden was. So it was by the Pishon River, which um, we're going to look Kale and Delhish biblical commentary on the Old Testament because, as I mentioned, I'm not a expert in this area. So, as I was even studying and getting to know these things, just as if you're not familiar with an area, you might ask somebody who is familiar and it doesn't make you any less authoritative once you also learn the information about that area. So let's learn from some scholarly sources. This is the first one, and I thought it was one of the best when it came to this. So in this commentary, bringing up another potential location area of the garden, if I had to summarize it, it actually has the location more so of the Caspian Sea area up more towards the Western Asia and Eastern Europe sort of area. The biggest reason given in this commentary is because where it talks about gold, you can see at the end of verse 11, as well as some of these other sort of stones or gems, pearls. There's so many different things that we'll talk about in a minute. But basically, that area, which they say the Armenia sort of area, and a little bit east to it is very rich in gold and those sorts of resources. So that's why they say that it probably wasn't more in that Arabia sort of area, which let's talk about that now. So on most maps, I either see one or the other or different versions of these. So there is either the Southern Arabia theory, which usually puts people basically down in the Babylon sort of area, or some put it in the Ethiopia sort of area for these sorts of lands because. If you take a look, there's actually a guy and there's actually a few branches of people named Havala, and one of them is of a guy named Jokun, and 
So he's mentioned in Genesis 10, 29, Genesis 25, 18, and 1 Samuel 15, 7, and then the Cushites, which is found in Genesis 10, 7, and 1 Chronicles 1, 9. And with these, some people put Cush way up in that Armenia area, but other people put him down in Ethiopia. And so where exactly did he end up landing? I'm not entirely sure. I think uh, these are some of the more difficult things, tracing genealogies and all. I mean, you look at stuff like the top-notch DNA analyzer companies nowadays, and they can barely trace you more than a few generations back reliably, and usually you already know the stuff that they have to tell you, and you find maybe a little bit of this and that, but then you'll go to another company and it'll say something different. So if even the most advanced technology can't even track us back accurately, like this is one of those things, again, that is not a lost cause, but definitely is a difficult area. But just because we can't trace everything to its exact location doesn't mean that the story wasn't recorded accurately or that there's not at least a general area that we can pinpoint. And so, you know, even though it seems like it is a huge area, and it is, from either Armenia down to Ethiopia that the land of Havala could have ended up in either way. It's still in that greater Mesopotamia sort of area. And also, like I mentioned, there's the Babylon area as well, which puts it right by the Persian Gulf where essentially some people believe that it's already sunk down into the sea or you know talking about the great flood that happened obviously that would have done a lot of damage and it would have rerouted a lot of the rivers back in ancient times and they wouldn't have been the same afterwards and also even if they were still there you know if it was in the southern arabia area obviously since it's desert we can speculate that it could have dried up and become nothing more than valleys through areas and who knows how big or long this land even was and so you know we can speculate all day but like i mentioned like we know that this land was there we know that these rivers were there um so we were getting into the gold and you know it's true that that northern speculative area does have a lot of those rich resources 
like the gold and the stones that it's talking about. And even Southern Arabia even has some of those resources and there is gold that is found there. So technically that doesn't rule out either one. And I haven't really seen many articles on whether the Babylon area was rich in these resources, but, you know, all things that are worth looking into. And like I said, um, in one sense, it's trying to tell us where it was more so for the sake of the story. It's not trying to have us go rediscover it because there's, you know, artifacts and mysteries that the writers were trying to get people to go investigate the area. Like, we have a different lens than they did. They were trying to describe the story of what things were like. They were not trying to say, hey, this is where you should go dig so that you can discover ancient mysteries of the past. You know, they're sharing the story and building up the story in the Bible of the story of the past. So here we have the Pishon River. We have it being a land rich with gold and resources because here we even have it saying that there was also pearls. It says in one, um, it has lots of other sort of translations. So let's take a look at a few of them. So one of them says pearls, as I mentioned. Uh, another one says aromatic resin. Another says that as well. And then there's several that say bdellium, which is speculated what exactly this was, but it is talked about only twice in the Bible. And so basically the color of bdellium is the color says of a coriander seed so basically we can speculate basically it's a light yellowish brownish color just like that of that it comes from numbers 11 7 if you want to look that up but then um a lot of people say that it's a gum resin and that's where we see also it talking about it being an aromatic resin. Uh, but then there's others that say it's basically a pearly sort of substance. And um, then we also have the onyx stone, which we see. And in one translation, it specifically identifies this as lapis lazuli which is a type of stone and even 
Uh, part of that word even forms one of the bluish colors that we know. And so this stone, which is usually referred to as the onyx stone, it's either some kind of black or pale green or pale in general, maybe translucent sort of stone. And obviously it was very common in the Havala area and it was used. So, you know, people will speculate it as different types of gems or onyx, but basically it was rich in like very rare and precious resources so if you have stuff like gold which is good for money but you also have gems which is good for like merchants and good for even using for building stuff and extracting color and uh, for just again money flow in general then on top of the aromatic fragrance and gum and all of that, which would definitely be really useful to a lot of people, you know, they had some really, really rich resources there. So, you know, this land of Avala that had the Pishon running through it, um, it was essentially probably one of the richest lands that's ever existed because it was running basically either through or around the Garden of Eden area. And then that brings us to the second river, which is the Gihon that it talks about. And it says that it runs through the entire land of Cush, uh, which we started hinting at earlier with the son of Cush. We talked about Havala being part of that family line. So we have two people who formed country areas. And a lot of times back in those days, you would have basically leader figures who would become family, clan, tribe leaders, and they would become like essentially chiefs or leaders and form their own family, clan, and if it got big enough, even nation, or at least a tribe or a people group or area, and we also call this nowadays ethnicities or people groups, which comes from the Greek word ethne, which um, is used in the Greek version of the Old Testament for describing basically these families that were formed in the beginning. But that's getting a little bit of ahead of ourselves. We're going to do deep dive talks about these different people who were 
family heads and basically founded different areas. And it's going to be just as confusing, but interesting and insightful as all the talk about the rivers, because just as it's difficult to pinpoint all of these ancient lands, it is also equally difficult to identify every single branch of the human family tree. So let's have a little bit of grace as we walk through these topics and let's not be an all or nothing mindset because I think holding the Bible itself to giving us the information that we want to know is pretty unreasonable since obviously they couldn't answer our questions back then or know what kind of stuff we were going to ask. And even if they did or could, would we even understand those things, especially with how much of a gap we have in between us? At the same time, like I said, you know, the point of the Bible and what the story of creation here and these geological areas and the people that we're going to be talking about, it's not solely just to give us a science record of what happened. It is also trying to give us the story of humankind and the spiritual stuff that's at play and basically the general setting. So, you know, it's giving us some specifics, but at the same time, that's obviously not the main focus of what we're going over. So as we step into this general area, we got these two rivers that are at least most people say not there anymore, which is not potentially entirely true. If you look up maps, there's some, especially in the Caspian sort of area, like we talked about at one point, where there's rivers that either used to exist or currently exist. I'm not entirely sure because I haven't dove into all the research. But uh, both for the Pichon and the Gihon, uh, there are essentially or used to be rivers that flowed through that area that very well could have been in that Eden area. And there's also one other thing I wanted to mention so I don't save it for another episode. And when it talks about the heads of water before we get to the Tigris and the Euphrates, which are needing less explanation because you can just look on a current day map and they're pretty similar to what they would have been back in ancient times. But basically, you have these rivers that are pretty close together, and some people say that nowhere 
at any point do they come close enough and have a geological sort of similar foundation to their rivers that make it plausible that they could actually have at one point met and so that's one theory but I've also seen things on the other side where it's possible that they could have met in the north or could be talking about how they met in the south depending if someone identifies it in the northern moor area or the southern area down either by the Caspian Sea or the Persian Gulf. So honestly, very confusing stuff, I will totally admit. But uh, we also have the fact that, you know, the heads of water could either mean that they all like met up at one lake area and then they split off or maybe it could have even been a gulf area where which is kind of like a lake where it split off in four areas or it could have been like a cross sort of area where they all intersected and split off at different directions and angles and stuff and also rivers obviously meander and they even sometimes pick up in one area and then they seem to go another direction or go underground and come out somewhere else so like on top of that there can also be splinter lakes and honestly like if you look on a map it is very difficult to do geology so like we talked about there's also been many thousands of years since these rivers have been written about and identified and also since these things were written down after all the events like many thousands of years after is when these early things are being written about you know obviously the geology changed even more even from when it was being written to when the time that was being written about was written so I just wanted to throw out all the complexities of what's going on and I wanted to be honest because I want to talk about all the different factors and give you guys a good idea of what actually goes into the understanding of these things and I also last thing before us wrapping up the last two rivers which it doesn't say much about them but I also want to mention how 
they would have had a much better understanding and it was in very close recent memory even though it would have only been about a thousand something or at most 2,000 years out from the time that the garden was at least in its stage where the man and the woman who we're going to talk about end up coming out of the garden from that point to the point where Genesis started being recorded, we would have had a lot more understanding of both people being familiar with the language and the geology of that time. And so, you know, when they wrote this, it's not like they didn't have any idea what they were talking about and they were making things up. Like as people continue to do research, you know, there's theories that line up really well. And so honestly, I think it's a matter more so of just narrowing things down over time. And so let's talk about the last two rivers. So we have it talk about the third river, which is the Tigris, which it runs along the east side of Assyria. So this one is very clear. We have the Tigris, which is above or basically, in a way, running through Assyria. And it says how it's on that northern, eastern sort of portion. And when you look at Assyria, you can see that basically it does line up with that. So we have the Tigris being on the eastern part of Assyria. And then it says that the last one is the Euphrates River. And that's located more south of the Tigris. And there's some interesting things that I've found specifically from that Kiel's commentary again, and it talks about how there were names for the rivers in Persian, and that would have been off more a little bit to the east, but even they had names that were very similar to what we call the names, at least in English nowadays. So they had the Tigro River and the other one for the Euphrates was Euphratu. So with that, that basically sums up the passage that we're talking about. And so in one sense, we probably just got even more confused, even myself. I think I 
added more questions by studying this passage than I found answers. But at the same time, when you study any field, especially one that's super complicated, usually you come out with more questions than you do answers, especially when you're studying in fields where most of the things that you're trying to discover are still mysteries, or at least they're still in the theory phases. And a lot of times, you know, on both sides of things, scientists and geologists, they'll say, oh yeah, we know all of these things, but you don't look into the literature and realize that a lot of the things that they say they know are still in theory phase. And our current and best guess speculations even though there may be a lot of support behind those things, a lot of times in the science community, they like to jump to conclusions. In the same way, let's also talk about the religious people, because in a lot of biblical and religious spheres, you have people claiming, oh, we know that this land is in this area, and oh, it's such an obvious fact that this is what this passage means, but then you have another biblical scholar come and say, no, actually it's this. And so like, you have scientists fighting, you have religious people fighting, and so I'd like to say be humble, just take the actual words as they say them. Like when it talks about the land of Havala, uh, and there's a river, Pishon, running through it, just tuck it away in the back of your mind and be like, oh yeah, there's a bunch of gold there. Maybe I'll need to know that one day. And oh, so it's anywhere from basically the Armenia and um, Caspian Sea area down to maybe the Ethiopia area, maybe to Babylon, or maybe even all the way out to the Indian sort of area. So, honestly, take the experts' theories with a grain of salt and just keep the fact that there is a garden and there are four rivers running through it, and we at least know that it had some closeness and location to the Tigris and the Euphrates, and basically everything else is still currently being identified. So, like, from there, the main takeaway, like I said, just remember that the garden had four rivers, that it was rich in resources, and if you remember those things, honestly, the rest of stuff is side details and knowledge, and um, it would be fantastic if we knew where the garden was, but it's obviously not the same that it used to be, otherwise we obviously would have found it by now. So, with that said, just 
keep sticking to what the story has to say and don't go down all of these personal rabbit trails that you would like to chase because the greatest rulers of all time have tried to discover it. And if they had all the resources in the world to locate the garden and they weren't even able to do it, what chance do you have? No offense. So let's move on and talk in the next episode more about the garden and the people God put in it. Hey, I'm so glad you guys could join for today's podcast. I hope things click for you and that you're better able to understand God's word. Jesus said, whoever has ears, let them hear. So keep listening to what God has to say. I'll see you guys next time. God bless.